Something's wrong. Is that is that working? Because this is not reflecting properly. It's it's it's. I know it's working. Just so you know, it's not showing green on my. I've got it on like standby all the time. That's why we're having problems with our mics then. <clears throat> all right. If this thing starts acting up, everybody turn around, throw a hymn book at the sound booth. <clears throat> <laughs> okay, maybe don't, don't do that, all right? Maybe not. That's not a good idea. We were getting a little popping on our, our sound yesterday, and it's one of those things that I don't, if you're like me, I, I mean, I'm ready to come unglued, you know? I, 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 I don't know. I just, things like that drive me crazy. But anyway, <clears throat> sounds great so far outside of just my voice. But nonetheless, sounds good. Okay, Second Samuel chapter 9. We're going to read a passage of Scripture that... It is a wonderful passage of Scripture, and I think you'll be encouraged by it in the end as we start to lay it out and express it and show what it pictures and how it applies to our lives. Second Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may shew, kindness, shew him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose Name was Ziba and, Ziba, and when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may shew the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Makur, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of, of Makur, and the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when... Do you know how to say that one? <laughs> Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. That's a long one. Does anybody in here know a Mephibosheth today? I'm just curious. I mean, we've got some crazy names these days. I, Mephibosheth, you know, I, I don't know. We might call him Fib for short. I don't, I don't know. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not. For I will surely shew thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread alway at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was uh, Micah. 
and, as all, that, and all that dwelled in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Boy, I, I, I almost need a, a rag to wipe the sweat off my forehead after trying to get through that chapter with all those names. That's, I was a little nervous there. David, obviously, was the king of Israel. He had spent years running from Saul, who at that point was the king of Israel. David was literally just one step away from death. Saul had a son by the name of Jonathan. And Jonathan and David became great friends. And their their love produced a historic loyalty and a very powerful trust between the two. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Neither Jonathan nor David would allow anyone or anything to come between them or their relationship. Jonathan's dad, the king, he felt very threatened by David. So threatened that he actually sought the very life of David. He sought to kill him. On a number of occasions, Jonathan, his, David's dear friend, went to his dad on behalf of David and he sought to somehow calm the fears and the jealousies of Saul the king, who was his father. But there was never a time when Saul really got over his jealousies or ever was free from his feelings of of resentment and even jealousy. Saul would become so angry about the situation with David and Jonathan and the kingdom that he literally at some point even sought to kill his own son over it. He couldn't understand why Jonathan would love this man who ultimately would take over the throne that Saul himself thought his son deserved. And so he hated David because of the threat that he posed to his future kingdom. So finally, after a number of appeals and a number of attempts to pacify the jealousies of his father, to put them to rest... Jonathan finally concludes that the only way that David's going to live is if he flee for his life. And so Jonathan warns David, and David does indeed flee for his life. Now it wouldn't be long after that Jonathan and his dad would die in battle. Both the king and his son now are laid to rest. And when the news of Jonathan the king Jonathan and the king's death reached Saul's household. That news stirred a great panic in the heart of those people there. So much so that the nurse of Mephibosheth, the nurse that took care of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was only five years of age at the time, ran out of the house for fear for their lives, and she dropped the boy. At that point, he became a cripple. At that point, he would no longer be able to provide for himself or ultimately for his family. He was a cripple now. 
The Bible says in 2 Samuel 4, 4, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. It's a tragedy, isn't it? The thought of a five-year-old boy being crippled at the age of a tender age of five. That's so, so disturbing and so difficult. A number of years have passed now. David is now the king of Israel. It's then that David begins to reflect and he begins to remember the covenant that he had with his friend. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42, And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. For as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. That covenant that those two made together would lay the foundation for one of the greatest pictures of grace in the Bible. Now remember, the household of Saul had sought the very life of David. They had resented his popularity and his power, and they felt that he was there and seeking to usurp their rightful place on the throne. Outside of Jonathan, who had already died in battle, there was no one in the house of Saul that David was aware of that would ever show him any kind of kindness at all. They all stood in opposition to David. And yet, in spite of it all, we're going to see that David would show kindness and he would show grace toward Mephibosheth, the crippled son of Jonathan. David demonstrates grace. And that's what I want to address this morning. I want to discuss grace a little bit. I want to talk about grace. So before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Father, help us now in these next few moments as we consider grace. Father, what a wonderful theme and wonderful topic it is. And thank you for these that have gathered today. Lord, may our hearts be stirred and may we be reminded of maybe the grace that's been bestowed upon us or learn about grace, the grace that we need to escape the penalty of our sin. May you bless now in this time. May you meet needs. Now fill me with your spirit. May I be your mouthpiece and may you just anoint every listening ear. May we leave here having received what you'd have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're discussing grace. First of all, I want to note the foundation of grace. And again, we're looking at it from the perspective of our account here. Again, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, in our text, verse 1, the Bible says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may shew him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Again, David had subdued kings and kingdoms, and now he reigns on the throne. After obtaining that throne, the throne that God and even Samuel the prophet had said that he would ultimately obtain, he now sits on the throne. His mind begins to wander somewhat. He can't help but remember how, as a lowly shepherd boy, he would care for his father's sheep. No doubt he remembered taking the cheese and the provision to his brethren. And he remembers how, as he arrived up on that hill, he 
heard the blasphemous words of that great warrior, Goliath. He thinks to himself of how he took those five smooth stones and entered into that valley at Elah there, and how with God's power and God's strength, he flung that rock and it hit that Philistine smack dab in the forehead. And down he came. No doubt he, with a smile on his face, remembers holding up the head of Goliath and the victory that was wrought in Israel that day. And how he went from being simply a lowly shepherd boy caring for his father's sheep on the backside of the desert to literally a common household name. As he sits on the throne and continues to reflect, he can't help but remember how Saul had brought him into his house. Here he was now, this shepherd boy. But he's brought in to play the harp, and he's brought in to soothe and to comfort the king. And there he remembers meeting Jonathan. His mind wanders back through those years. He sees them galloping on horses through the hillside. He remembers how they would discuss and meditate upon the Word of God together. He remembers how they would work out with one another with their swords and who knows, maybe their rock weights. I don't know. Well, he wasn't living back in those days, I guess. But either way, he remembered those times together the laughter, and maybe even the tears. And then he can't help but remember his friend Jonathan. He's now the king of Israel. Everything has finally fallen into place, but in his mind, he still remembers with a tear in his eye that friendship that he had with Jonathan, the closest, dearest friend that he had on earth. And he remembers the covenant that he made. Sometimes it's easy to forget people as we climb up the ladder. Sometimes it's easy to forget about those that invested in our life early, those that made a difference in our upbringing, those that poured their life into us. Oh, now we have a good job and now we have enough money to make it ourselves and now we don't need anybody else and Wait a second, what about that mom, that dad, that grandma, that grandpa? What about that friend, that wife, that husband? David remembered Jonathan, his dear friend, and he remembered the covenant that they had made with one another. The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. I want to draw your attention to verse 1 of our text, chapter 9. Notice that it says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may shew him kindness, here it is now, for Jonathan's sake? Note again, it says, for Jonathan's sake. 
That statement is the very foundation for David's grace toward Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. See, Mephibosheth had in no way merited David's favor. As a matter of fact, David didn't even know that he existed. And yet, for Jonathan's sake, David makes a big deal about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth had done nothing worthy of David's love. And yet he would still receive at the hand of David. Why? For Jonathan's sake. We're talking about the foundation of grace. The truth is that God's grace is equally shared with you and I in the same manner. Grace is unmerited favor. It's undeserved. The truth is is that you and I offer God nothing worthy of His grace. We have nothing to contribute to God Himself. We bring only sinful flesh. We bring only disobedience and rebellion. We literally stand as the very enemies of God, the Bible says. But because of God's grace, we can be brought into fellowship with Him. But what is the foundation of that grace? In Ephesians 4.32, we read, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. What he's saying is, you've been forgiven and the grace of God has been bestowed upon you for Christ's sake. Mephibosheth receives the blessing from the hand of the king For Jonathan's sake, you and I receive blessing from the hand of the King for Christ's sake. I'm glad that God doesn't look upon us and say, or should I say He doesn't look upon us and say, I really appreciate all your efforts in trying to live for me. I'm really thankful that you're so desperate to please me. As a result of that, I'm going to forgive you. He doesn't do that. The fact is that God would have nothing at all to do with any of us except it be for grace. Oh, I know we'd like to think ourselves to be something pretty special. But you just don't understand. I'm really a good person and and I I really try hard to please people and to, to... I don't try to do anything to harm others, but... I, I, and then I'm, I'm down deep a good person, and certainly God, God being the Creator, I know God loves me, and, and I know that God would want me in His presence, and I realize that, that I'm not perfect, of course, but then again, who is? The problem is, no one is. God is. As a result, that sin will have no place in God's presence. And let me tell you, God would have nothing to do with Mark O'Donnell if it were not for Christ's sake. If it wasn't for the penalty and the price that He paid, if it wasn't for the sacrifice that He made, at the very root of grace is a person. That person is none other than Jesus Christ. But number two, not only the foundation of of grace, but let's look at the salvation of grace. In 2 Samuel, again, chapter 9, verse 7, we read, 
And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely shew thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of, thy Saul, of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. I like what he says here in verse 7. He says, and, I, and, and, and he says, and will restore thee. He'll restore thee. We see this wonderful truth. We see fellowship being exhibited here. He's going to restore some things back to him. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that the Lord Jesus Christ restored me. And He restores you if you'll, by faith, trust Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, 11 and 13, we see that fellowship is something that can be ours as a result of this grace that God extends to us. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. In Ephesians 2.16, he says, and, he, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. The enmity. We stood in opposition of God. But the fellowship that we experience in a lost state, an unforgiven state, is restored by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Nothing like that can take place based on my effort or my ability. I cannot restore myself into favor with God who is perfect while I sit in the muck and the mire of this world. And I can't climb out high enough, I can't get away from it. Even if I somehow climbed up the steps of the most holy mountainside, I'd still be drenched in the muck and the mire of this world. Only Jesus Christ, only the grace of God can wash me clean and restore that broken fellowship. That salvation restores fellowship, but it also provides us with fruit. He says in verse 10, Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, and thy master's son, that thy master's son may have food to eat. Well, I'll tell you what, David's taking care of Mephibosheth. The king is, is the king for Jonathan's sake is making sure that he's going to enjoy the fruit of the land. And let me tell you something, because of the grace of God today, there's many a blessing and tremendous fruit that we receive. And it is all for Christ's sake. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Isn't that wonderful to know that we can sit at supper? That's what he says here about Mephibosheth. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Not only do we see then the fellowship and the fruit, we see the favor that we receive as a result of this grace. We now are as one of the king's sons. Can you imagine that? You are the child of the king. 
A child of the King. In John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We see that the foundation of grace is literally for Christ's sake. There's no grace except to be for Christ's sake. We also recognize, as we said, the salvation of grace. That it, it provides us restored fellowship with God. That it enables us to enjoy the fruit and ultimately the favor of God. But last, I want to note this, the duration of grace. Not only the salvation, not only the, as we said, the foundation, but the duration of grace. Again, in our text, verse 13, it says, So Mephibosheth dwelled in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. and was lame on both his feet. Notice he did eat continually. One of the most comforting truths in the entire Bible is that we are forever saved and secure in Christ. It's one of the greatest truths. I didn't say it was one of the most popular truths. You say, but that shouldn't be popular. It should be, but it's not. Because grace is not dependent upon my human effort, then I can neither gain nor lose what God has graciously given me. Can't do it. You, you can talk to, you talk to a number of people. You can talk to a bunch of people out there that are religious. But I'm going to tell you something. The majority of them are going to tell you that you can lose what God gave you, your salvation. Sure, you go ahead and you invite Christ into your life and you receive Him as your Savior. We believe that. We trust that. And we know that without Christ you can't get to heaven. But on the other hand, we also realize that if you don't stay faithful and if you don't keep doing what you're supposed to do and if you don't obey the Word of God like you're commanded, then you will not be saved anymore. That's what you'll hear. Why in the world would someone preach that you have to be saved a second time if the first time it had nothing to do with you at all anyway? There's a misunderstanding out there. People somehow believe that they had to do something to be saved. All you have to do is receive and accept Him and His finished work. See, you're not saved for your sake. You're saved for Christ's sake. God doesn't look at this young man and say, I hate to see him burn in hell because he's such a good person. God will never say that about that young man. And he is a good person as far as we're concerned. But compared to God, he's not. He's nothing but a wretched sinner. And the only reason why God shows him love, the only reason why God extends his mercy is because of Christ and for Christ only. The moment you start to believe somehow that you deserve heaven, you have lost sight of the whole reason for the gospel. Do you, really, you cannot be saved if you think you deserve it. You can't even be saved. Because the one prerequisite, the one thing that you and I have to understand 
before we can come to Christ is that it is all Christ and none of us. That's why it's so simple. People are funny to me. they, They make me laugh sometimes. They say things like, you're making salvation too simple. Well, why is it so hard? What makes it so difficult? But you're making it too simple. Everybody could be saved the way you're talking. Exactly. That's what it's supposed to be like. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know, but those sinners down there, they got to get some things right. They don't get things right till they get right with God. You don't get right with God till you get born again. We're putting the cart before the horse. I don't know about you, but I'm extremely thrilled today that my salvation and my eternal home and my my relationship with God as Father and Son has nothing to do with my personal effort. I'm glad about that. I make no qualms about it. I have nothing to contribute to God. He gives me everything. And I'm nothing without Him. And how do you add to all in all? The Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ is to be all in all. And He is all in all. Well, if if He is all in all, then how can I add to that? That's like having a glass full of water and saying, I'm going to add something to it. The moment I add something to it, I take something out. Well, I don't want to take anything away from God. Do you? He's to get all the glory. He's supposed to be all in all. The moment I add my human works, then He loses out. Something has to go. Well, I don't know. I don't have anything worthy of replacing God's grace or any other element of His character or person. Grace, the duration. Look in 1 Peter, if you would, please. Chapter 1, verse 3. Maybe you're here today and there's never been a time in your life when you acknowledged or recognized that all you are is a sinner before God. You, you know that and you're, you kind of knew that. I mean, obviously, you know that you don't do everything right. Uh, but you've never acknowledged or recognized that Christ, when He died on that cross, so died in a, a way that only His sacrifice was sufficient payment for your sin. I mean, you thought that if I could be good enough, if I could try to keep the Ten Commandments, if I just do my best to try to be a good dad, a good husband, a good provider, uh, uh, if I'm a good mom, if, if I'm kind and considerate to people, if I show love and, and I don't try to intentionally hurt anyone, then obviously in the scale of eternity, my good will outweigh the bad and God will let me in. Maybe you've thought that way. But I'm telling you that there is a reason why Jesus Christ had to die on Calvary. He didn't just come and do it because it was a good time. I'm going to tell you, if there was any other way that man could have come into a fellowship with God, could have been restored to that fellowship that was once experienced in the garden before the fall of Adam, if there was any other way, I promise you that Jesus would have never died But he had to. 
And as a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 10, the Bible says, And it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God to bruise him. Because he understood that without the bruising of Christ, without the death of Christ, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, not one human being that was ever created could enter into heaven and his presence. Old, New Testament alike. No blood, no restoration, no fellowship. So maybe today you're finally understanding this simple truth that Jesus Christ had to die on that cross. He had to shed his blood. And may I say that it doesn't matter how wicked you are. I don't care if you have ten domestic violence charges against you. I don't care if you murdered somebody. It doesn't matter to me what your state in life is and what your lot has been in life. The fact is is that Jesus' blood is sufficient payment for your sin too. Watch this now. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You want hope? It's only made possible through Jesus Christ in the resurrection. To an inheritance. We all know what an inheritance is probably in this room. An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. Reserved in heaven for you. you got a reservation now. And it's reserved. You got a, I mean, it, you have a reservation there. His computers don't go down, folks. Well, I, I, I believe uh, my secretary called or my wife made this arrangement or my husband had called in and set this up for us. I'm sorry, we don't, our computers are down. We don't have record of it. It doesn't happen like that in heaven. It just don't happen. He's got that eternal power source and they never have a shortage. Verse 5, he goes on to say, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know that inheritance, that lively hope, that home in heaven is kept by the power of God. You weren't saved by your own power or your own wisdom or your own abilities. And you don't have to keep it through your own power, your own strength, and your own abilities. You were saved by God's power and the resurrected Christ. I mean, the death, the barren resurrection, you put your faith in the finished work of Christ. That shed blood washed all your sin away. It opened up the door to God's grace in your life. And now God can bestow that grace on you. He can lavish it upon you. He can give to you what you do not deserve. And the truth is, even as you receive that without any reason, or God had no no obligation whatsoever to give it to you, He just simply gave it to you because of, for Jesus Christ's sake, He keeps you the same way. has nothing to do with you again. It's all His power. Man, I like that. Oh, let's see something. Let me give you an illustration here. I just stumbled down the steps. Do you see that? Do you know that things like that happen in your life and mine every day? We, we kind of stumble along life sometimes. Do stupid things. 
If my salvation was dependent on me always walking, always having control, never stumbling, how long am I going to keep it? How long are you going to keep yours? I'd have to get saved every single day. I'd have to get saved every single hour probably. I mean, and then you say, well, no, it's only the big sins. Well, who defines the big sin? The preacher or the person that's out in the world living in sin says, well, yeah, at least I haven't committed adultery with ten ladies in the last two years. I mean, we set our own standard. Every man does that which is right in his own eye. Who's God listening to? What's the standard that God has for us? What, how is sin defined in the Bible? Because if you, call, if you want to define it yourselves, we all have our own definition. But God says, i got a definition. You find it in the Bible. You fall short of the glory of God. What that mean? You don't measure up to God's perfect standard. So anything less than perfection is sin. Guess what? I live in a state of sin then. I know I'm saved and I'm a saint of God and that in standing I am secured. I understand all that biblically. I do realize that. And I am a new creature in Christ. Yes, indeed. But this old flesh still hangs on. Every day it tries to resurrect itself in my life. And every day I've got to keep stomping on it. It's the grace of God. See... David says, you're going to eat at my table continually, Mephibosheth. Not because you're so, so beautiful, so, such a good-looking, handsome young man. No, he had mangled legs. Listen to me. This man is a picture of you and I. We are incomplete. I'm not trying to be politically incorrect and I'm not trying to hurt people, but I'm going to tell you, if you're stuck in a wheelchair today, you wish to God you could get up and walk. But there's not one of us in this room today that spiritually can walk on our own. But thank God we eat at the King's table continually after receiving Christ as our Savior. All for Christ's sake. Nothing to do with me, nothing to do with you. All for Christ's sake. Mephibosheth offered nothing of value to David the king. He was of the household of Saul, those that sought the life of David, and he was a cripple. He couldn't run errands for David. He couldn't contribute at all to David's kingdom other than to just be there. And yet David said, for your father's sake, for Jonathan's sake, I'm going to bestow this grace upon you. I'm going to let you sit at my table and eat continually. I'm going to restore the land that was lost by your your, your daddy, and your, and your grandpa, I mean. And I'm going to give you everything that was lost. I'm going to do that for your daddy's sake, for Jonathan's sake. Man, that's what God does for us. Everything was lost. And yet we have gained it all back because of the grace of God. Go ahead, brother, start that. I'm going to go ahead and do that anyway. <clears throat> Maybe not. There it goes. Time measured out my day. 
life carried me along. In my soul I yearn to follow God. Okay, let's start that over, guys. Let's start it over. We'll start it right. It's too important. All right, here we go again. I think this song says exactly what we've been discussing for the last 30 minutes. Time measured out my days. Life carried me along. In my soul I Follow God, but knew I'd never be so strong. I looked hard at this world to learn how heaven could be just to end where I began, where human effort is all in vain. Were it not for grace, I can tell you where I'd be, wandering down some pointless road to nowhere. With my salvation up to me, I know how that would go. The battles I would face, forever running but losing the race, were it not for Expressed with all my heart Offered to the friend Who took my place And ran a course I could not start And when he saw in full Just how much his love would cost. He still went the final mile between me and heaven, so I would not be lost. Were it not for grace, I can tell you where I'd be, wandering down some pointless road 
to nowhere with my salvation up to me. I know how that would go. The battles I would face Forever running but losing the race Were it not for grace Forever running but losing the race if it were not for grace, there wouldn't be one of us in the race. And thank the Lord, His grace is sufficient. It provides us an eternal salvation. But without that grace, not one of us would have any hope for Christ's sake. God extended His grace and saved our souls. And for Christ's sake, won't you be saved today? Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you take these next moments as we extend what we call an invitation or opportunity to respond to the truth that we have been exposed to. That you, Father, would help us as believers to understand that tremendous price that was paid on behalf of our Lord and Savior. We wouldn't take it for granted that, Lord, instead we would praise You and thank You for it. And we'd allow our life today to reflect that investment. Oh, thank You that You extend grace and mercy, compassion and kindness to us for Christ's sake. And that You have forgiven us for Christ's sake. Lord, today there may be those in this room that have yet to experience the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, before we leave this place, that every heart would know You personally, that not one would leave with any doubt that heaven is their home one day. May they not depend on themselves or their efforts or their abilities, but simply trust in You, Lord Jesus, and Your shed blood. Oh, God, help us today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me quickly ask you, do you know without a doubt if you died, you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% sure that if you closed your eyes in death, that you would open them up in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is there a tinge of doubt or concern that causes you to even think God forbid, but even think, possibly, I would miss heaven. You don't have to even be concerned about that. You can settle today where you'll spend eternity and all because of Jesus Christ and His finished work. God will forgive you, save you, and include you in His family and give you a home in eternity 
for Christ's sake. Preacher, I don't have it settled, but I certainly need the Lord. I don't have that nailed down, but in my heart, someone's speaking to me. Something bigger than you even. Someone bigger than you. And I know I need Jesus Christ. Anybody? Be so bold. That's me, preacher. I don't have it settled. I don't know for sure heaven's my home, but I'd sure like to settle it today. I'd like to get it handled. And I'm making it easy. Let me see your hand, would you please? I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you to give you the courage to do what you're going to need to do to settle that. Anybody? Anybody? Let's assume we're all saved here for a moment. Where do you stand with the Lord? After all that He's done for you, after the sacrifices He's made on your behalf, after the grace He's bestowed, even though none of us deserve it, is there something in your life that you've allowed that doesn't please Him? Maybe today we need to bring that to the altar and leave it. Maybe we need to tell the Lord, we're so grateful for what you've done. I just want my life to reflect that grace better. I want to be more like you want me to be instead of what I am. Father, help us, Lord, today to make decisions based on your word and on your spirit as he leads. We'll thank you for what you will do in our heart and lives. In Christ's name, amen.